This message comes from NPR sponsor Hulu. Don't miss the new docuseries Black Twitter, A People's History. From memes to movements, see how this powerful online community shapes culture and society. Black Twitter, A People's History premieres May 9th, streaming on Hulu. The animated series Avatar The Last Airbender premiered nearly 20 years ago, and it's correctly regarded as a classic. It tells the story of a boy named Aang who must learn how to harness the power of air, water, earth, and fire, and ultimately save the world. Now the series is getting a live-action adaptation, and its first season just dropped on Netflix. But how does it hold up to the beloved original? I'm Glenn Weldon. And I'm Stephen Thompson. Today we are talking about Avatar, The Last Airbender, on Pop Culture Happy Hour from NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor Hulu, with Black Twitter, A People's History, from Onyx Collective and Hulu. Directed by Prentice Penny, Black Twitter, A People's History, tells the story of how black voices found a new home online and blossomed into a force for change while laying down some hilarious tweets along the way. From the memes to the movements, see how this powerful community shapes culture, society, and politics. Black Twitter, A People's History, premieres May 9th, streaming on Hulu. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Homes.com. You don't just live in your home, you live in your neighborhood as well. So when you're shopping for a home, you want to know as much about the area around it as possible. Luckily, Homes.com has got you covered. Each listing features a comprehensive neighborhood guide from local experts. Everything you'd ever want to know about a neighborhood, including the number of homes for sale, local amenities, and even things like median lot size and a noise score. Homes.com. We've done your homework. On Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, we have very important people on our show and then ask them about very unimportant things. Here's U.S. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen. Uh, We are also reliably informed that among your enthusiasms, in addition to macroeconomic policy, is mobile games. Uh, There is some truth in that. There's some truth in that. Join us for the NPR podcast that considers all the other things. That's Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. Why is everyone so obsessed with traditional wives or trad wives on social media? This week, we're talking about the viral videos of women making marshmallows and mozzarella from scratch and how behind the sheen of calm kitchens and cute fits, there's some interesting pessimism about our modern world. And that's worth digging into. Next time on It's Been a Minute from NPR. Joining us today is NPR producer Mallory Yu. Welcome, Mallory. Thanks, Stephen. Always fun to be here. Always fun to have you. Also with us is one of our producers here on Pop Culture Happy Hour, Liz Metzger. Hey, Liz. Hi, Stephen. So the original animated Avatar The Last Airbender ran on Nickelodeon for three seasons from 2005 to 2008. It spawned a successful sequel called The Legend of Korra, as well as a catastrophic (laughs) movie version directed by M. Night Shyamalan. Let us never speak of it again. Now Avatar has been rebooted once again, this time as a live-action series on Netflix. The show stars Gordon Cormier as Aang, a young boy who inherits the role of the Avatar, a hero with the power to restore 
restore balance to the nations of Earth. Aang is the last of his tribe of airbenders. They have the power to manipulate the wind. In the show's first episode, we see the airbenders wiped out in an attack by the Fire Nation, whose firebenders have plunged the world into war. During the attack, Aang is enveloped by the ocean and sealed in a block of ice, where he remains for a hundred years. Eventually, he awakens and is discovered by two members of a water tribe, a scrappy boy named Sokka, played by Ian Owsley, and his sister Katara, played by Gawandio. She's learning how to be a waterbender. Soon, the three of them are targets of the Fire Nation, whose power is threatened by the Avatar's return. They're pursued across the world by, among others, Prince Zuko and his uncle Iroh. They're played by Dallas Liu and Paul Sun-Hyung Lee. Avatar The Last Airbender is streaming on Netflix now. Liz Metzger, I'm going to start with you. What do you think of the show? I think this show is a pretty good little show. Mm-hmm. It's a very expensive show, but it's a pretty good little show. Um, it just happens to be adapting one of the most beloved animated shows. Mm-hmm. I felt like there were really two standout performances for me. And I think it's just because these people felt like they were those characters in their own way. I really like Dallas Liu as Zuko. Wow. The plan is to prove my father wasn't wrong to trust me with this mission. The plan is to go in and capture the Avatar once and for all. The plan is to reclaim what's rightfully mine. And I thought Ian Elsley was great as Sokka. Yeah. There are some really beautiful costuming. Mm-hmm. I think the thing that I kept missing in this show was joy. Mm-hmm. This is a show about war. This is a show, and we've seen a lot of shows about war. We see a lot of shows about kids having to grow up too fast. But what I really loved about the animated show is there's a goofiness, there's a silliness, because it makes the moments of joy feel a lot more joyful. It's the moments that make the heavy parts feel heavier because it really figures out its tone. And this show has a little bit of a tone issue and so we do have moments of joy, but they feel very fleeting compared to some of the very mm-hmm. heavy moments. But I, I liked it. <laughs> it's just compared to a really great classic. So I'm going to want to be really kind to it. But it, it was a little bit of a disappointment. I'm glad you mentioned the relative lack of joy. Mm-hmm. I think there's also a relative lack of meditativeness. Yes. The original show had a tendency to occasionally pause and like, we're just going to sit in this place and reflect. Mm -hmm. The streamlining that goes on here, they've whittled Mm -hmm. 20 half-hour animated episodes into eight more or less hour-long live-action episodes. And that, by necessity, changes the pacing in ways that kind of don't let this story breathe quite as much. Would you agree? Oh, yeah. We're going. We're moving. (laughs) We are going to meet, like, all the side characters that you once loved. We're going to meet them in 30 minutes, (laughs) which worked sometimes. Excellent. All right. How about you, Mallory? I agree with everything Liz just said. Um, The costumes are so cool. I think the hair, I have to say, I was really impressed by the wigs on this show (laughs) because usually wigs are disastrous. (laughs) Big. Mm -hmm. And... This is the live-action adaptation I was excited to get with the M. Night Shyamalan version way back Mm. when. Mm -hmm. So in that sense, watching this adaptation was really gratifying and really fun because it's visually just so lush. But I totally agree with the lack of joy critique. There's just something stiff about this adaptation. Like, there's no playfulness Aang is not the goofy kid that you watch Mm. take on the mantle of responsibility and choose that responsibility. He just kind of accepts it in the first 30 minutes of the show. And it makes... He's kind of a mope, too. And it sort of makes his, like, 
emotional journey less powerful through the season because you don't really get to see the difference between Aang, who has been sheltered from war for 100 years, versus Katara and Sokka, who are children who grew up in war. And you don't really get to see the contrast between their attitudes, at least initially. I think because this show is eight episodes versus, say, a 20-episode arc, you lose a lot of those like small character moments. And that's what I was missing. Yeah. And I keep coming back to the question, who is this for? Because it doesn't necessarily feel like it's meant to usher in new fans. Yeah. And it definitely doesn't feel meant for, you know, say, OG fans who now have young kids that they might want to be sharing this with. And I definitely would not let a young child watch like so many people get burned alive on screen in nearly episode no i liked a lot of it but ultimately i felt like it was less than the sum of its parts Mm, gotcha how about you glenn you know it's strange i had this initial reflexive full body negative reaction when this thing started and and then i had to kind of take a breath and Mm -hmm. interrogate that because it's like glenn you love this world you love these characters you love the story what are you reacting to And after some back and forth, I came down to the, (laughs) I know this sounds bad, but like to the YA of it all, I wasn't prepared for it. And I should have been. That's on me because Mm. when I was watching the all ages animated series on Nickelodeon, Mm -hmm. I just thought, okay, well, this is a kid show that I love. But all of the stuff that I objected to here, the simplicity of it, the directness of it, it didn't really register. Mm -hmm. I'd watch the original series and the dialogue would be as incredibly on the nose as it was, like whenever anyone talked, they'd either be explaining Mm -hmm. what needs to happen or what just happened or what is happening right now (laughs) or explaining exactly what they were feeling at the moment they were feeling it Mm -hmm. or, you know, doing a comedy bit. (laughs) And and all that stuff rolled off. It was like, this is what I'm here for. Fine. It works. In live action especially in the early going, that same simplicity, Mm -hmm. that same directness, that same punishingly expository dialogue. Mm -hmm. Jeez. We've gone from two dimensions to three dimensions, but we haven't added any dimensions to the dialogue now. (laughs) So like I'm not coming here for nuance and emotional sublimation, but I just needed to adjust my expectations. And once I did, I kind of got into it. I I think it got easier as it went along because I liked it when the story got darker and the stakes got higher (laughs) just logistically because everyone had less time to keep telling each other what was happening. But it was an adjustment, an adjustment I eventually made. I had a very similar journey to Glenn. Uh, The opening scene in the very first episode of this show involves an earthbender kind of fleeing, pursuing firebenders through a dark alley at night. And watching it, I'm just sitting there, arms folded, like, this looks like a video game from 2011. (laughs) And over time, first of all, it comes to look better. Second of all, I dropped some of my guard, Mm -hmm. uh, which is very similar to the guard Mm -hmm. that Glenn had going. Mm -hmm. And I ultimately found it engrossing and realized and remembered how much I loved swimming around in this world, watching the original cartoon. Mm -hmm. It made me appreciate the story more, and it made me appreciate why somebody would want to go back and retell this story. This is a wonderful, rich piece of world building. And it makes sense that people would want to go in and retell this story. I don't think that the end result fully answers the question, why? 
Mm-hmm. Why did we need a live-action version of this mm-hmm. as opposed to an expansion mm-hmm. of this? Legend of Korra is a sequel that builds on these ideas with new characters. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I should say that there are several new animated projects being developed from the original animated series creators. Michael Dante DiMartino and Brian Konitzko, they were slated to be the showrunners for the live-action new series, but they left citing creative differences with Netflix, and they were replaced by showrunner Albert Kim. And they've since formed Avatar Studios to expand the animated franchise, including an animated sequel film. So I'll be excited to see what they do with that. There are so many unexplored territories in this world, and you could tell a different story instead of just retelling the one we already know. So I don't think this version fully resolves that question of why, so much as it's an interesting curiosity that I did find myself enjoying. Mm -hmm. And when it wound to a close, I was ready for season two. I love this world. I deeply love the original Mm -hmm. piece. I think this basically does it justice. I have some quibbles with some of the streamlining that goes on. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, on balance, I guess I'm glad it's there. And I I hope it kind of compels people to keep coming back to this story and keep sharing this story. Yeah, I mean, the cast is so fun to watch Mm -hmm. that, if anything, I'm glad that they all have this job. Because, (laughs) like, Dallas Liu's Zuko, Paul Sung-Hyung Lee's Uncle Iroh are just a joy Uh. to watch. Ah, good. It's not too late. What are you doing here, Uncle? Same as you. Getting ready to embark on what is sure to be a memorable journey. You want to come with me? I've come fully prepared. All the tea I need. Dallas really just encapsulates that angsty teenage Zuko that I loved, and I am excited to watch his Zuko grow through the seasons as much as there we're going to be able to see <laughs> um, with all the streamlining. I think that like Stephen, you're asking like why are we doing this? And so much of the why that I kept watching was like, it's really great to see a ton of new Asian and like indigenous characters playing characters that are like written to be Asian indigenous. Mm-hmm. It was just a really great joy to see a lot of also actors mm-hmm. I'd seen in other things. Mm-hmm. And we see some PIM 15 Hive is definitely being represented. Mm-hmm. Even May December fans will find a great joy in Azula. So yep. I think there was so much that I was like, oh, you were a small part, but you are now playing a very beloved character. And most of them are really pulling it off. And I think that was enough for me to say, like, I'm going to probably keep watching it because of them. Yeah, I'm glad, Stephen, you mentioned that the effects, they're not janky across the board. Right. Um, That final episode is a really big swing and it looks great and they spent their money there. Mm -hmm. But I remember the first time in the first episode you see Appa take off into the air from a distance. I heard myself say out loud, oh, no. Oh, no, because it looked so bad. And in terms of justifying its existence, I mean, I'm a simple man, Stephen. Narratively, no, this does not justify. Aesthetically, yes. I wanted to see bending in live mm-hmm. action. I wanted to see this world. I wanted to see the Fire Lord's throne room. Fire Lord's throne room looks great. I think the fight choreo and the effects, which they realized they needed to focus on, worked for me. Mm-hmm. Although with water bending, mm-hmm. something happened. I didn't realize this, but like the transition between 
her sending a wave of animated water at an enemy. Then you cut to the enemy and they're just kind of wet. <laughs> you know, that never occurred yeah. to me that that would be the effect. But it that's doesn't like, seem devastating. It seems like water balloon. Oh, here's a mm-hmm. towel. You know, yeah. it didn't. Mm-hmm. Again, adjustment. I had to make an adjustment. <laughs> well, you guys mentioned um, the performances. Uh, I wanted to talk, like, kind of what were... You mentioned Dallas Liu, and you, yeah. you mentioned Paul Sun-Hyung Lee as Uncle Iroh. And Uncle Iroh, that's a really hard one to get right, yeah, in beloved. part because beloved. you already, fans of the original show, already had to adjust to the death of Mako, who was that iconic voice in the first couple seasons and how they had to they had to adjust his voice. I, I wanted to get a sense of how you felt about, about all these performances. Were there any characterizations that didn't work for you? Were there any that you were particularly pleased with? I think it goes back to tone. I will say I struggled a little with Aang. And mm-hmm. the core three. There are moments of joy that I felt in the second episode. We're on the island. We are meeting a bunch of people. I like it when they get to be young. They have a lot of joy. When these characters have to be really heavy and deal with some things, I think, like you were talking about, Glenn, the directness and the lines. Mm-hmm. They're just, they feel like green actors in some moments when they have to talk about being direct and heavy things. But there were moments of levity that I really liked. I liked, mm-hmm. oh, I love seeing Azula earlier. Yeah. I think I liked adding more of the Fire Nation lore in the season one. I thought it was so Agreed. interesting. I thought it built stakes. I'm really excited for where we're going to see them. And I'm glad that we're going to see them more in season two and three, hopefully, if this gets renewed. So that, like, is something I really did enjoy. I will say I find it very confusing for Daniel Day Kim to be playing Fire Lord Ozai, who is such a horrible, like, evil villain, because my it's, like, kind of warring with my attraction for Daniel Day Kim. <laughs> Zuko has found the Avatar. Your brother has done the impossible, just as I'd asked. He doesn't generally play evil characters, it's been fun to watch him kind of chew the scenery in an evil way. And when it comes to kid actors, there's always a trade-off, right? Because some of the kid acting on display here is of a very specific species of kid acting, which is that super Mm -hmm. emotive, use all of the face Disney Channel kid acting. Mm -hmm. And some of those kids go on to to be, you know, to be great. But the advantage here is that they're actual kids. They're not chain-smoking 32-year-olds <laughs> yeah. with gambling debt and alimony payments, you know, <laughs> pretending to be 16-year-olds. They're actual kids. There are, th- yeah, there are no crow's feet. There are no crow's feet here. <laughs> yeah, it was nice to see Gyawan Dio as uh, Katara, uh, remembering her from Rutherford Falls. It's nice to kind of connect the dots to other shows we love. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did think Ian Owsley as Sokka... I found myself like Googling pictures of the real actor to be like, (laughs) did they CGI that kid's face to look exactly like Sokka? (laughs) And the voice. Voice too. Yeah, voice. Can I just say that the condensation of the storyline actually didn't bother me that much? I mean, I thought though it did do the opposite Mm. of what it was intended to. It's intended to get us to the fireworks factory, keep the stakes high. It just called out those moments when they weren't driving the plot ahead, Ang would say, I have to get, because he was always saying what he needed to do, Ang would say, I have to get to the Northern Water Tribe, we're running out of time, but I have to help these people here. And in a mm-hmm. 20, 21 episode season, you're like, fair, go nuts. <laughs> yeah. But in an eight episode season, you're like, you're going to spend two episodes in Omashu? Really? Yeah. This is the thing about, the, what the wonderful thing about having the series, the real, the real series, the original series, is that we can always go back. If you miss a plot detour, you can always go back. But I remember mm-hmm. I told Faust the first episode, if they Fire. skip 
Ko the Face Stealer. Mm. Mm. I'm going to ribble because that oh is the gosh. creepiest, the best, yes. the queerest <laughs> character in the Avatar universe. Yeah. Voiced here by George Takei. So I'm not, nope. it's not just me saying it. <laughs> I was so happy they did that. And I'm also glad that he looked as good as he did. I thought he, that character, was yeah. doing what he needed to do. Mm-hmm. I also have to say, and this gets back to, I believe it was Mallory's point. This is not a kid's show. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the Co the Face Stealer stuff is legit terrifying. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wasn't the show too. It wasn't the original cartoon, I remember. Yeah. It makes me excited to see things, some of the darker things from the animated series, like bloodbending. Really excited for Katara to, mm. to do that. Yeah. To Glenn's point about the pacing at, of it all, the condensing of the storylines. It's been a while since I've watched the original, so I also didn't mind some of the condensing, although my partner was like in my ear like, oh, we're meeting this character already? Oh, we're doing this? Like, what about this? And it was like, okay. <laughs> oh, I suppose we're doing this now. <laughs> Let me just watch the show for what it is. The, watch the show that's in front of me. I had a problem with the eight-episode format, Mm. I think, because like we have all been saying, I think I was missing some of the more of those character moments, some of the joy and the playfulness, some of the – a few of the little detours, like Aang wanting to go to Kyoshi Island because he wants to, like, ride a turtle duck or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I think that there are ways for them to have done that if they had given themselves maybe 13 – 40 to 50 minute episodes Mm -hmm. where you could have like just a little bit more time per episode to focus on the core three and their dynamic and their figuring out of that dynamic. The way that it is now, it's like they immediately, almost immediately gel. And I think you sort of miss a little bit of that development. So I'm not really sure, like that's not really a useful critique, but that's kind of how I felt as I was watching it. Like, this episode has too yeah. much in it, but also I'm not getting enough of mm-hmm. Aang, Katara, and Sokka, yeah. um, even though they're on screen most of the time, you know? Yeah, you kind of undo some of the benefits that you get from making a TV show instead of a movie. Yeah, mm-hmm. Trying to distill this story down to a movie is a literal fool's errand (laughs) embarked upon (laughs) in a literally foolish way. Um, I think one of the big things I took away from the experience of kind of binging this eight hour spectacle is I want it to do well in part because I want more of these stories to be told. Mm -hmm. I want this world to get built out more in part because I like you, Mallory, I'm really pining for some of the meditativeness that really, really drew me into the original series. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, we want to know what you think about Avatar The Last Airbender. Find us at facebook.com slash PCHH. That brings us to the end of our show. Mallory Yu, Liz Metzger, Glenn Weldon, thanks so much for being here. Thank you. Always great to be with y'all. Thank you. We want to take a moment to thank our Pop Culture Happy Hour Plus subscribers. We appreciate you so much for showing your support of NPR. If you haven't signed up yet, want to show your support and listen to this show without any sponsor breaks, head over to plus.npr.org slash happy hour or visit the link in our show notes. This episode was produced by Hafsa Fathima and Liz Metzger and edited by Mike Katzif. Our supervising producer is Jessica Reedy and Hello Come In provides our theme music. Thank you for listening to Pop Culture Happy Hour from NPR. I'm Stephen Thompson and we will see you all tomorrow. Hey, I hear you have a birthday coming up. Yeah, you. 
If you're listening to this, that means you have a birthday coming up eventually. And here at Life Kit, we want it to be a special one. Magic can happen and good luck can happen and serendipity can happen if we're open to it. How to have a good birthday, even if you're not a birthday person. That's on the Life Kit podcast from NPR. Do you ever wish you could get your stories in three hours rather than three minutes? Or maybe you're sick of doom scrolling, getting your news in bits and pieces. That is where Embedded comes in. We bring you documentary series that will change the way you think about things. Find us wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, close your eyes for a second. Now imagine you're on your dream vacation. No work calls to answer, no text messages to respond to, just your suitcase and an opportunity. The opportunity to just take yourself out of your routine and travel deeper. How to actually take that dream trip. That's on the Life Kit Podcast from NPR.